Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on November the 7th, 2011. For newcomers, help yourself to the audios at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and you'll see a whole bunch of sites listed there, the official sites that I have. In fact, that's all the sites I have. Anything outside that in any kind, shape or form isn't actually mine. And uh, you'll find that you can download the audios from any of those sites if you find sticking on downloads on, from the com. Because so many folk go into the com at the one time. So you can try these other ones if that happens to you. And also remember, all those sites carry the audios and they'll carry transcripts for print-off as well in English of the talks I've given. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwattsentinel.eu, which is listed there as well. And you'll find a, a bunch to choose from. Help yourselves. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you because I don't uh, bring on guests as advertisers. I don't have shares in the advertising companies or, or partnerships and so on. I do the suicidal way by hoping the public are interested enough into supporting me and just keeping me ticking over because I don't want to start an empire here, just uh, just tick, tick over and get by. And uh, you'll you find too that uh, there's a bunch of discs and audios and books on cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You could purchase those. That will certainly help. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use a personal check and you can still use an international postal money order uh, from your post office, uh, or you can use PayPal, or you can use uh, send cash. It's up to you. Across the world, you're left with Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. That's how it's gone there. Everything's gone electronic across the rest of the world. I think the U.S. is the last country that can still use a, an international postal money order from the post office. Everyone else used to do it, but then they stopped doing it because the big bankers, this world, one-world system, wants to keep track of every single person on the planet. We're all slaves now, you understand. That's part of the reason that they're doing this. So anyway, buy the books and this and help me keep going. And straight donations are awfully, awfully welcome because, as we all know, um, <laughs> just looking at the, the, the past 20 years or so, uh, a million bucks was a lot of money uh, 20 years ago, and now it's in the billions. Now it's even in the trillions, in fact, when it comes to debts and paying off debts, etc., from countries. So they devalue money all the time. It's built into it. Devaluation of your currency is built into this current system because you expect a pay raise every year, plus you expect the prices to go up every year. And so what really happens is you simply deflate your currency until you're paying it's like pesos eventually or lira. You're paying hundreds and hundreds of lira for a cup of coffee one day, and that's not, not far off for the dollar, no doubt about it. That's the way it goes, but it's built into the system, as I say. Inflation, inflation, inflation. And we live in a system of designed slavery, of course. People don't think of it as slavery. That's because they haven't studied it at all. They haven't studied the source of money, uh, the creation of money, the creators of money, and even the religion behind it. There's an actual religion of money uh, behind it. It's not, all this stuff about economics, etc. is nothing more than the religion of those who are in charge. Uh, and they follow it very, very strictly. 
to make sure that they stay in charge of it. It takes a lot of belief to believe in money. That's why in the U.S. dollar it used to say, in God we trust, you see. But nobody asks what God. God is a generic term, you understand. It can be used for any God at any time in the, on the planet's history. And people don't ask. They'll take it for granted. They think it's the one that whatever one they serve. But it's actually a slavery system, of course. And that's what it's always been. Interesting enough, Charles Galton Darwin admitted to this. He says, there's always been a system of slavery, meaning there's always been an elite living off the rest of the peasantry. And he said, we are now in this, in the, uh, the process of, con- of creating a more sophisticated form of slavery. That was the 1950s when he wrote his book. He said that. Well, you're in it today and they're going into the next step of it, more, more sophistication, global slavery, uh, through bailing out countries across the whole planet. We're all in it together. Oh my. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. And you could understand too that society has been led by the nose for many, many centuries by those who run money systems. And uh, it's, it's interesting, even when they created the Federal Reserve in the US, uh, really a, a small clique of bankers drafted up the whole darn thing and uh, had it presented to the president who signed it into law. And uh, that was that. And then that wasn't good enough, you see, now that they run the whole country's economy and money and lending uh, systems. They had to push for another war. And wars are awfully good for amalgamations, for, for money and bailing folk out. And World War II came along too, and then the U.S. was a was the one who ended up giving lend-lease programs across the whole world, which turned into working through the United Nations with the Overseas Economic Development Funds and corporations. Every country that signed on had a department of that. They worked directly with uh, the group that eventually was called the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. And, of course, those who set up the IMF said to be a part two to to the IMF. It will come up to its its higher level to basically do the books of the whole world. And all this pantomime that you're seeing going on right now, all the pantomime across the world, across Europe, that this crazy bailing them out until they're all in the hole, you know, trying to save Greece, supposedly, is designed by the bankers and to make themselves indispensable yet again and to raise up the European Central Bank as, as, the, as the main bank that we'll have to accept. Nobody wanted it. No citizen of any country wanted it, this big central bank. But now it's going to be your saviour, your senior. You say, well, what else could they do? Or all the other options were making us broke, and they'll go ahead with this. And at the same time, the, the World Bank and the, 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 business, the Bank for International Settlements comes to the fore, as it was decided, decided over 50 years ago, that's what the, their job would be, running the whole darn world uh, through their central bank systems across the planet. So it's a big pantomime. It really is a big pantomime. And these boys have, have brought on the problems, given me the solutions, which strengthens themselves with each, each step that they take. And this is just another step they're going through right now. Same with the crashes in the U.S. and, and uh, the design crashes, actually. The, 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 the bubbles should have kept, been kept afloat for years if they wanted to. It was just, it was just designed to, to burst the bubbles at that time, but to bring you into austerity and to, make you, and to bring America down a few notches in the world's status financially. But look, look what's happening in Greece. Is that the farce of Greece. I mean, the last guy, the guy who was just leaving, in fact, as uh, prime minister there, uh, he, the guy's been living abroad more than he's ever lived in Greece. 
You have to go into his family history to understand who the man is in the first place. Very interesting. Very, very, very interesting going into his history. There's revolutionaries there in his background, if you dig deep enough, that came from other countries, weren't Greeks at all, and, um, and intermarried, of course, who were all intent on getting the Tsar out of Russia, you know. So, go into the histories of these characters. And when he got, came over from, from the States, this guy, the last, this one leaving, uh, he eventually um, uh, has worked in other central banks before, in other countries, done the usual tour of London School of Economics and, and Harvard, etc. And then, then they're flown into Greece under the Socialist Party. And socialism, I always used to be stumped by this, that these socialists that were really communists, didn't follow what you thought was a communist route. They didn't create their own state bank, basically, and issue their own currency. They always wanted to keep the same banks going and get everybody into debt by making it harder for small businesses especially and most businesses to, to, to keep going with high taxations until they're under. And at the same time, they create a massive welfare state. And, and, then, they, and then they make a massive bureaucracy, so many civil servants, so they're top-heavy in civil servants. Well, that's what happened to Greece. I mean, the one who's leaving, this, pre- this pre- president who's leaving, actually, he he cut most businesses by about 80% in the time that he was in. All exports. Until they're dependent and borrowing money from abroad for years. So that was the way to do it. That was intentional, you see. And who they're replacing him with? Well, Papadimos is another interesting guy. Because you look at his history. And, and look at what he's been involved in. And where he's been living on and off in different countries over the years and what he's been working for. Anyway, it really is a pantomime we're living through. It's a stage play. I hope you realize that. Papadimos, front-runner to lead Greece, it says. It says Greece is embattled socialist government and its main rivals in the opposition are converging on naming former European Central Bank the European Central Bank Vice President. Huh? The ones who want to run the whole of Europe. Lucas Papadimos, to lead an interim administration officials from both parties, said Monday. But no deal's been reached uh, yet, as the leader of the country's uh, conservatives and new democracy parties refused to name any of his supporters to key ministries. Antonis Samaras fears that putting key people in a cabinet tasked with adopting harsh austerity measures could cost his new democracy party support in the next elections. Officials from his party and Prime Minister George Papandreou's socialist party said. So you have to go into these characters. It's just more of the same characters actually moving in. And that's what the Greeks are complaining of, actually, that these guys really, in a sense, are not really Greek, you know, in a, in a very special sense. So you have to see that this is the, how, how they do things. They bring on the problems. Uh, they bankrupt the country by, by creating the welfare state, massive bureaucracies. Uh, they, they cut down on businesses until the business can't function. They start borrowing from abroad. They say, oh, we're dear, we're in trouble. You know, oh, dear, dear. It's all planned that way. It's all planned that way. And the great saviour for the whole of Europe, the only saviour they've got now for Europe that they say is, is the European Central Bank, this new, this new creation uh, that was designed actually in, in the drawing board 50, 60 years ago when they, thought they, would, they said they would unite Europe. So anyway, they're going exactly as planned, as I say. Now, I'll put that link up tonight soon. You can read it for all for yourself if you want to. But uh, it's interesting what is happening and you see now, as the European Union uh, flexes its muscle 
really on, on the citizens, citizenry, really, because the enemy at the moment is the citizenry across Europe. The citizens of different countries that are now European Union uh, are getting told what to do, what they think. They're eradicating their, all their histories through school, teaching uh, basically everything from 1950 onwards and nothing before it, you know. And, uh, and they want a new public relations department or propaganda department. Uh, they've already got two special ones set up already for special tasks. They want another propaganda department uh, to, to try and take control uh, of another area they're now into. So it's now the Union Jack, their flags. They want the flags to be abolished. They want, they want national anthems to be abolished. In fact, they're finding countries that won't sing the European Union uh, national anthem. So it says that the Union Jack is under attack as EU officials trying to take us closer to the United States of Europe. Senior officials cause outrage by suggesting member states should drop their flags in favour of the EU design. The UK IP leader Nigel Farage has said this is further evidence of Britain's identity being trampled. Interesting flag too that, you know, the vote 12 stars on it with the five point stars, pentagons, and um, against the blue background. And that's really taken uh, from a, a much, much older design. It's very capitalistic, actually, because the U.S. initially had a circle of stars, too, in the corner with the blue background. But they had 13 on it at that time. So, but uh, it's all capitalistic. And they won't go beyond 12, even though they've got many more members than 12 members in the EU now. It's become traditional for David Cameron to appear at European summits in front of both the Union Jack and the EU emblem, to illustrate the dual sovereignty between London and Brussels. But now a senior EU officials caused outrage by appearing to suggest that national flags of member states should be dropped in favour of the EU design of a circle of stars on a blue background. Christine Roger, the communications director of the European Council, the EU's governing body, made her comments in a speech to 650 spin doctors from local authorities across Europe including the UK. In other words, she's charged of a lot of propaganda departments. That's what communications means nowadays. She called for a new dedicated public relations budget to help sell the EU as a brand. Sell the EU as a brand. This is how it's all done now. They sell whole continents as a brand of something, you know, to its increasingly disenchanted citizens. The meeting in Brussels last month, which cost taxpayers across the continent tens of thousands of pounds, came as EU leaders were fighting to contain the Eurozone economic crisis. Uh, in a speech, a copy of which has been seen by the Mail on Sunday, Ms. Roger, a veteran Brussels uh, apparatchik, meaning communist, posed a series of leading questions, uh, including how Europe should be defined. We're talking about a state to be, about a federation, she asked. Then as she flashed up a picture of French President Nicolas Sarkozy, standing next to both a French and an EU flag, she said, how much do we believe in ourselves? For how long will we see heads of state with the European flag alongside the national flag? If we don't believe in ourselves, why should, why should the world outside do so? Last night, as Eurosceptics, uh, politicians accused her of calling for countries to sacrifice their national identity to promote the EU. Ms. Roger insisted that she had been misinterpreted. Well, that's what they always say in PR, isn't it? So anyway... They want to do away with that. They want to do away with a lot more to all their currencies. They want them all to be in the euro. They want them all to be in the euro central bank and, uh, and so on and so on and so on. She says if member states do not invest enough in the European brand, a proliferation of sub-brands is sure. So our companies now call a brand. Where are you? I'm, I'm, I'm brand X, you know, or I'm brand Y, whatever. So 
that's uh, what it's come down to now. That's how they talk to it about us at the top. Just brands. Uh, it's just like cattle, isn't it? Where you brand the cattle. You're just a brand, depending on the country you come from. And who owns you. <laughs> and a good article here is about sexualization of children. Uh, and it says, drug companies are sexualizing the children, it says. Since recently, there's been a vast amount of media coverage exposing many leading stories, sexualizing children through the marketing of inappropriate clothing, never mind all the TV stuff like that, uh, and their education at school. Many skirts, crop tops, and sexy underwear for primary school children, that's children under 12. Even high heels for toddlers uh, fill the shelves, leaving parents shocked and outraged. I don't really believe that anymore. See, every generation has been degenerated step by step until they're not really shocked at all about it. Back with more after this break on this topic. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix and just talking about this article. It's quite good actually on children. Uh, been sexualized basically through advertising, never mind the school system, uh, which is actually promoting uh, early sex, very early sex. In fact, even pre prebertal sex, as guys like Bertrand Russell said, they should be, uh, because they, they hoped eventually to ensure that nobody would bond with anybody else for life and have no children. That was part of the plan, and it's worked awfully well, actually. But anyway... Uh, this article goes on to say that it goes on about uh, Suri Cruz, daughter of Tom Cruise, often seen tottering her in high heels while wearing bright red lip gloss at the tender age of five. In fact, this very young child even has her own fashion blog showing interested re- uh, readers her vast array of tiny high heels while sharing her latest fashion tips. Whilst many parents appear outraged by the seemingly blatant exploitation of such a young child and are sharing their feelings of disgust in various blogs, the same emotion evades parents completely when it comes to vaccination. Parents are only too happy to have their little darlings vaccinated with the latest must-have vaccine for sexually transmitted diseases and happily sign consent forms without giving it a second thought. Why is it that there is not the same level of disgust and outrage when drug companies recommend children from birth vaccinations for sexual diseases? Don't American parents realize that the government has mandated a vaccination for a venereal disease at birth? In fact, Dr. Judith Raisman goes as far as to say that these vaccinations are little more than condoms in the veins. She's very good, Judith Raisman. She's got good stuff out there on a lot of the nonsense that was taught uh, about the Kinsey Institute. Uh, the reality, she was in the reality of him hiring perverts to um, molest little children and time their little exploitations with the children, all that kind of stuff, and they call it science and fudge all these statistics by using uh, nothing but more than male and female prostitutes and then trying to tell that the, the people that these were just the average people on the street. It's all nonsense, all all fixed. It was a changed society, which it, it really did change society. You can understand the biggest society is changed by creating heroes or elevating people up in the name of science especially uh, to the top. And whether it's a, a, a Darwin or anybody else or 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 uh, Kinsey, it's the same result. It was to change uh, the sexual morality of society in general, and it was awfully successful, and done exactly the right time too. 
But she's, Judith Reisman has got great videos up exposing the crimes that, that the Kinsey Institute went through to obtain their so-called results, which are all fudged. The U.S. government has insisted that children vaccinated with the hepatitis B vaccine on the day that they are born. On the day they're born. Hepatitis B is a sexually transmitted disease. Therefore, it's highly unlikely that a tiny baby is going to come into contact with the disease unless they've shared needles, had sex with an infected person, or have received contaminated blood. This being the case, the only possible way that a newborn baby can get hepatitis B is by having an infected mother give birth to them. So why is the U.S. government insistent that all babies are vaccinated? They know who's infected and who's not. Why do they not simply identify pregnant mothers who have the disease and vaccinate just those babies? Or better still, not give this highly toxic and dangerous vaccination at all. You understand the whole premise is based on the fact that introduce this poison into your bloodstream and your immune system will find a way to conquer it. It's supposed to be weakened to an extent. And uh, your immune system will conquer Well, a, a baby's immune system isn't working, so that throws that whole theory out the water. It's too early to work on that. Anyway, Dr. Reisman is clearly disgusted by what she sees and states. Just look at child vaccines. The more pornography and sexology increase juvenile sexual activity, the more big pharma can step in with a hepatitis B vaccine for infants. Hep B is a sexually transmitted disease. There's no reason to give the vaccination to babies. But big pharma has been making a fortune on it ever, uh, ever since states have begun mandating that all our little darlings with their wee tiny hearts and lungs and no immune system functioning be shot up with and recently small girls with human papilloma virus HPV vaccines, all in the name of protecting them. Uh, what we don't want to do is turn off the pornography uh, flood. Uh, no administration has chosen to do that. They never will, by the way, because they're run by the same people who run pharma, because it fuels so many other things. And the wings are vaccines for syphilis and gonorrhea and a whole host of other sexually transmitted diseases. She's a strong lady with powerful views and believes she is correct in her assumptions. At the ages of 9 through 12, young girls and boys are now recommended the HPV vaccine. Once again, this vaccine, according to the manufacturer's Merck and GlaxoSmithKline, is for an STD which has been said to cause cervical cancer. I say said to cause cervical cancer, as there appears to be very little evidence available to support this theory. Dr. Sin Hang Lee, who now works with the group Sane Vax, and our pharma guest says, fact, the current type-specific HPV vaccines have claimed to be almost 100% effective against infection by HPV-16 and HPV-18, and perhaps also against HPV-31 and 45 infections. However, we do not know if these four HPV types are the most prevalent carcinogenic HPV genotypes in the U.S., According to two published reports, one by the CDC, HPV-52, not HPV-16 or HPV-18, was found to be the most prevalent carcinogenic genotype infecting young American women. It says it's not a transient HPV infection, but a persistent high-risk HPV infection that may initiate cervical cancer, may initiate. Therefore, it is the persistent infection, not the virus, that determines cervical cancer risk. In other words, the longer you have there giving you a low-grade um, uh, inflammation, that's when you tend to get uh, cellular changes, basically. It's persistent. Uh, the thing is, too, that really gets me is that uh, they've had deaths already with, with young girls with this uh, new vaccine against uh, so-called venereal warts. And uh, they've found the warts in the bloodstream. The old normal kinds don't go into the bloodstream, stays in the skin and the tissue. Back with more after this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm back, and we're cutting through the matrix. Remember all these articles I I read? I generally generally put the links up at the end of the evening uh, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And it's a good one to read with Judith Reisman. It goes on and on about uh, how society has been totally changed, how the educational system is meant to promote sex, which actually it is, but it's no secret amongst the ones who designed this phase of society and the culture. And uh, they all wrote books about it many, many, many moons ago. And it's all come into pass. A destruction of the family unit, a hypersexualization of children, and uh, no bonding uh, throughout their life, and uh, hopefully no children, as far as big boys are concerned. And it's worked awfully well. And we're being tampered with. We're being genetically modified, you see. Because when they put in these things into your bloodstream, especially viruses, they can actually detect these viruses all through your life from the labs. The laboratories, actually, they can actually identify which labs they came from by looking at your tissue and where, where they embed themselves and what they've done to your tissue as well. So you're being modified all the time. And then it's, it's too long uh, to go through all the, the stuff on genetic modification of not just plants and animals, but humans as well. It's also part of the agenda, of course. And we get dumbed down, and people become sterile very early in age now. It's dropping all the time. And that's also part of the agenda. And because we're dumbed down, no one cares about it. You know, we're, we're in idiocracy land, and that's where we are today by design. Naturally, that's a great phase to be if you're a ruler who've never had any of this rubbish stuck into your veins and uh, you've eaten uh, real food your whole life, stuff that most folk can't afford. Now, here's another article here. It's gone on and on and on. Almost human GMO brown rice now contains blood protein. This is serum, the serum albumin, a blood protein has been added to genetically modified brown rice by researchers in a new study conducted at the Yang He and Daishang Yang and Wuhan University in China and published in the recent issue of Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. Recombinant HSA proteins were introduced into the brown rice using uh, agrobacterium, which is a gram-negative bacteria known for its ability to transfer DNA to other cells and plants, and wound up with nine plant species that could breed the GMO rice containing the blood protein. Now, they give you an excuse, too, that it's going to help folk who are anemic. Test subjects with liver damage showed improved results after being fed the rice, confirming that the HSA was effectively present and capable of being extracted in an efficient manner resulting in nearly half of the patient's protein creating 2.75 grams of HSA for, from one kilogram of rice. So that's your PR promotion sales for, for them doing this. The human liver naturally produces HSA, but people can require much more in the case of from some fairly serious conditions, including uh, creating human blood plasma. HSA is used in managing uh, cirrhosis of the liver, hemorrhagic shock, burnt treatment, and is found in a number of drug and vaccine tests. Anyway... So now they've, they've tampered with that. That's not the first time they've tampered with the rice because I think the Rockefeller Foundation created golden rice. That was to feed the whole third world, it said, years ago. And at that time, too, uh, the World Health Organization shortly afterwards came out with a, an article on the study of it. And it said that it also seemed to have good properties for, for creating infertility, especially in men. <laughs> How is that, folks? Eh? Uh, but most folks don't mind. They're too busy playing on themselves and... 
having fun on the net and stuff and, uh, and, and just, you know, going along with the latest trend. They all follow trends. They don't even realize that the stuff they're supposed to follow, even demonstrations, by the way, are all trended for them by professional trenders. I guess everybody wants to be trendy. Now, London School of Economics, where both these uh, Greek leaders, the, the, the one that's leaving and the one who, who is going in, uh, before they became members of central banking systems, the, the new one actually in Greece was also a member of the U.S. Federal Reserve, as I say, for the Boston branch. And now he's over there too. So uh, they pass their own boys around to take over, eh? And you think it's armies that just take over. Anyway... It says, the London School of Economics is in a row over links to new Libyan government. Now, most of these ideas for the, for the, uh, for the New World Order through the banking system uh, come from the, the London School of Economics. That's what, why it was set up. That's what it was set up to do, to work with uh, this creation of the IMF and promote that throughout all the nations and to train the guys who would become the, the heads of all centri- central banking systems. And it says, London School of Economics and rival for links to new Libyan government. The London School of Economics is facing fresh criticism, this time over its links with the new Libyan government. The university was embarrassed this year when it emerged that it accepted a £1.5 million donation from Colonel Gaddafi's son, Saif, 39, who's on the run suspected of war crimes. He was also awarded a PhD by the London School of Economics, but his dodgy thesis is being investigated for claims of plagiarism and ghostwriting. Well, they all do that. London School of Economics Director Sir Harold Davis stepped down after admitting errors of judgment over the university's links with Libya. Everybody was on the take from Libya before they decided to bomb it. When Tony Blair's over there for J.P. Morgan uh, and getting paid by the British government for, for, you know, keeping the peace and all that. And uh, there he is making private deals to sell them all his kind of... Miss France sold them all the weaponry before the, the year before they bombed them. Following the end of Colonel Gaddafi's 42-year regime, it's emerged that the university was in talks with the new administration, which has also been accused of atrocities. Uh, Mahmoud Jibril, who was interim prime minister of the rebel government, has held discussions with the senior LAC officers over possible training of civil servants in post-Gaddafi Libya. But human rights groups in the country claim the rebels have committed extrajudicial killings and tortured prisoners. In other words, they're slaughtering their way along the road, you know. So Gibral was forced to resign at the end of last month after claims he tried to install friends and relatives to senior positions, just like every other country, isn't it, into the rebel government and retain their post of prime minister and foreign secretary for himself. Now, the new administration has been taken over by anti-democratic Islamist elements who proclaim Islamic Sharia as a source of legislation. Therefore, any law that contradicts the principles of Islam is legally nullified. Its new leader, Mustafa Abdul Jalil, has also announced plans to encourage polygamy against us to get the population back up. Because there's a lot of slaughter still yet on the go. And uh, it says, a spokesman for Amnesty International said the LSE has a responsibility to avoid being in any way complicit in human rights abuses occurring under the new government. After an involvement with Saif Gaddafi, the LSE will surely want to doubly be, be doubly careful as dealings with Libya's new rulers do not involve any support for those who have committed atrocities. No, all it means is that they'll be more careful and quiet and, and, and they use subterfuge to get the cash to them. You know, that's all it will be. Or cash from them, I should really say. And that's how things really work, isn't it? Nothing is what it seems to be. You know, nothing is what it seems to be. We're so well trained into thinking anything that's official simply because it exists and says it's official, uh, and that must be awfully honest. And there's nothing honest out there in any, any one of these systems. They're all designed to bring in world government, one way or another, and eventually depopulation, big time. 
And they've been at that for a long time too. Depopulation through genetically engineering you, injecting you with really biowarfare chemicals and, and viruses. And, uh, and also then making sure that you get it in the food as well until literally you're sterile before you're 40. A lot of guys are. A lot of guys are sterile in their twenties as far as functional sperm go. And no one cares. There's no, no crisis over it because you see, there's no crisis because the handlers who manage the world designed that to happen. If it, they hadn't, believe you me, they'd be right in there because they, they're control freaks and they want to make sure whatever happens is, is them that did it. And that's just the way the world really is. Now, uh, M.G. Rosenberg, a senior foreign policy fellow, Media Matters, Action Network says, APAC's war with Iran bill passes the House Committee, wasting no time after success getting the administration to oppose Palestinian statehood at the United Nations and still celebrating the UNESCO funding cutoff. APAC has returned to its number one priority, which is pushing for war with Iran. The Israelis have, of course, played their own parts in the big show. In the past few weeks, it's been sending out signals that's getting ready to bomb Iran's nuclear facilities and embroil the United States in its most calamitous Middle East war yet. But most observers do not believe an Israeli attack is imminent. If it was, would Israel telegraph it to in advance? Well, it's true, Israel doesn't tell that the world doesn't care what the world thinks. They just do things. Uh, the point of the Israeli threat is to get the United States and the world community to increase pressure on Iran with a justification that unless it does, Israel will attack. Actually, what they want to do is to get America to do it for them. That's what they wanted to do. That's the real reason for it. Because the New American Century had the whole list of countries in the 90s that wanted to take over and push out the way. And uh, Obama's taken over from Rumsfeld. Rumsfeld even congratulated him for carrying on the same agenda uh, with the same list, obviously. And now that the U.S. troops are all over there, I mean, it's either they go into uh, uh, um, Syria now or Iran, and Syria will be a pushover as far as they're concerned. It's already disintegrating with internal conflict with all the agents that have been put in there over the years to stir up trouble uh, and soft power too. Uh, so now they're, they're, they're um, getting them to focus and just getting Iran out of the way. So this is quite a good article, uh, some good in- info on it. I'll put this link up as well, because uh, APAC's one of the most powerful organizations in the whole of the U.S. It's, it's an Israel first, basically, amongst congressmen. And another article here, too, is no, Italy. This is Italian borrowing costs hit new record in debt crisis. The yield on the 10-year Italian bonds hit 6.66%. And it says here, Italy was dragged deeper into Europe's debt crisis Monday as as borrowing costs soared to their highest level since the euro was created. Well, you see, each time these fake companies downgrade you, these self-appointed gurus like Moody's and so on, downgrade you, then their banks, you see, the big banks, their cousins, uh, can then uh, give you more interest, a higher interest to pay back. So so naturally, uh, this is what happens to you. The yield or interest rate on 10-year Italian bonds leapt to 6.6% on Monday as Silvio Berlusconi's government prepared for a key vote on the country's public finances Tuesday. Analysts warned that Italian yields were now approaching the danger area where a bailout looks a real risk. Stock markets around Europe fell sharply and concerned that the debt deal hammered out in Brussels less than two weeks ago will not fix the crisis. Well, it's not really meant to. It's meant to go deeper and we're all... It's being on the precipice, you know, of a movie. Will the, will the hero survive? Will he die killed by the bad guy, the shadow, you know? And, and this is all it is. It's because big stage play. 
to terrify the public across the whole country. All these brands now they're called not country, they're all brands, you know. What brand are you? Oh, I'm from Britain. Yeah. And um, I mean, you're a slave, really. But this is the system, uh, and this is the te- these are the techniques which they use. And uh, they'll get their way. Believe you me, they'll get their way. They get exactly what they want. In fact, I've never been lived. I've lived a long enough life to watch all these techniques used. I've read all their books and their old ones too. Uh, to know that they always create the crisis to, to get the, the next part of their own agenda through. And they've always been successful. Always. Often they get the public to help them by protesting stuff. You think they're protesting for the right reasons. Sometimes you are. Most aren't. Because the same guys are, have always been in charge. And they just simply bring in a better system, which they're still in charge of. Gives them more power. And... An article from 2006, I've mentioned this before, but eugenics is a big thing with the New World Order crew, the internationalists, the elites. Uh, and, the, of course, they went through a lot of the history of genetics and past talks. You'll find them in Cutting Through, through the Matrix uh, archives section. Because um, back in the 1920s, even before that, they were talking about a poverty gene. You know, you had no hope, you were condemned, because basically you obviously had a poverty gene because you came from a poor family. And that's why they started sterilizing people in the U.S. under Rockefeller uh, grant money. Uh, and they had Cold Spring Harbor and all the rest of it going on at the same time. And that was going do, they were doing that up until about 1970s in some states in the U.S. Just, yep, yep, poverty gene, that was it. Scottish scientists in 2006, right, have discovered a poverty gene which causes people from deprived areas to age rapidly, pass on health problems to the next generation, and might even explain negative attitudes to employment. Research in Glasgow has established that deprivation can lead to an overactive immune system which quickly loses the body's supply of spare cells needed to keep aging at bay. It means a typical 55-year-old from the city's east end might have a biological age closer to 70. The countries of natural selection amongst poor communities mean that those with, uh, or centuries of, of natural selection mean that those with highly active immune systems are more likely to, likely to pass their genes on condemning the next generation to grow old before their time. Maybe it's because they've had special batches of inoculations. Have you ever thought about that? You know, the private schools get different batches than the ones they put out in the, uh, the public schools. It's the same in the States, same in Canada. And they even get choices if they want to take them or not. Where if you just lived, worked in every little Joe's schmo at the bottom, you just take the injections that they, when they close, the teachers close the door and you can't get out until you get your injection. Uh, you just take what they give you. You don't even have to tell you what you're getting, you know. So anyway, centuries of natural selection, they believe, uh, they're passing their genes on, condemning them to, to grow old before their time. Uh, most astonishing of all, it's suspected that a hyperactive immune system floods the brain with a cocktail of chemicals which suppress the natural desire for self-advancement. See, all these theories, it's like, it's like all this rubbish about uh, evolution that you're always reading. Uh, not too long ago, they came out with one, they found another monkey somewhere, and this was the one, this is the one. It's much older than the rest of the monkeys. We all came from this monkey, and uh, I think it was in China or somewhere. And, uh, and they keep coming out with these incredible declarations like, so they can get some Nobel Prize or something for a theory. In other words, a theory is a beautiful thing, especially when you can't prove it. Isn't it? It's wonderful. I mean, nobody can prove it or disprove it. It's kind of like religion and all the religions put together. 
prove it, you know. Oh, well, you know. Anyway, this study by the Glasgow Centre for Population and Health is the first time the full extent of the link between health, genetics and poverty has been looked at scientifically. It's not absolute, absolute rubbish. They're repeating the stuff that's the, the, the society back in the 1920s uh, for the perfect American citizenry, the good perfect families, the genetic uh, um, families uh, were using back then exactly the same stuff. Go to my archives, you'll find all the old stuff on that. The findings have been seized upon by health campaigners as evidence that poverty is not simply a result of idleness and that more resources should be ploughed into tackling health in a quality to break the cycle of deprivation. So it also tells you, it also tells you, if they go on this route, you see, who will eliminate first? Hmm? Huh? Hmm? You know, you couple with financial crisis and, oh, massive welfare states and, oh, who are they going to take out first, eh? Who should get sterilized first? Tell me. Tell me, tell me. Go on. Can you think? Can you think? <laughs> Maybe you can't. I don't know. And and the EU too, the Economic Union, this, this big Soviet parliament that's so secret that, that you don't even know who the top, who the people are. And that's a fact. They don't tell you who the ones at the top are. They just, the, the ones at the bottom yell at each other and put on a show for their countries back home, the, the European parliamentarians. But they can't pass laws or change laws. They're, really, they're pretty well neutered. Uh, the guys at the top, these, these shadow guys that you don't even see the, the character that makes a shadow, uh, they pass the laws and you just follow it, just like the Soviet Union. And ex-Soviet people have come out and said that. This is worse than the Soviet Union. So up to one million people with diabetes could lose their driving licenses because of harsh new European rules classifying them as unfit to drive. Just like that overnight, poof. Experts, you know, those, those special guys with white coats and stuff, claim that unnecessarily strict changes will affect hundreds of thousands who have been driving for decades without um, problems. They say the rules amount to a blanket ban on diabetics taking insulin who occasionally have hypos, which are episodes of hypoglycemia or low blood sugar, which may cause blackouts if not countered with a sugary snack. Back with more after this break. Folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and this hour always flies by. It's a bit short, but uh, there's Daniel in the UK there. Are you there, Daniel, on the lines? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can, yep. Yeah, um, how do we know, do you think North Korea and Iran are um, genuinely rogue states? You know, they always used to say China and Russia were enemies and all this, but people at the very top were always in charge. You've you got to understand there's a con going along all, all the time. If you take the United Nations, they had uh, written up a charter uh, and they had made a deal with what's called the Warsaw Pact countries, which was their version of NATO. And the, the opposition were the NATO countries. So literally, uh, the UN designed them, <laughs> made them sign an agreement, and now the, the, the United Nations was a referee. Neither side could make a, a, a move on the other without permission of the United Nations. So the whole thing was a farce. And, uh, and at the same time, any country that pulls out of the agreement with the United Nations is then labelled uh, a rogue nation. By the same token, any monstrous country can be made a, a member, even if they haven't signed it by the United Nations, just saying so. So they can get a rogue nation 
uh, and put in uh, a worse guy than the last one and call it, you know, it's a good out, it's on track with them, it's all on track on board with them. North Korea, of course, uh, can, can welter away for, until it starves itself to death and then eat each other like they had the last time, not, not a long ago, in fact. Uh, and so um, North Korea can easily, quite easily brought down over a period of time uh, from sources without and even infiltration within. So uh, they're not too worried about North Korea right now. And apart from that, China is watching it like a hawk all the time. So f- forget that. But uh, um, rogue nation states, as I say, are ones who generally... Uh, go along with the United Nations, they, they go and make the mistake of signing the name and agreeing with the UN on the charter. And then if they go off and, and something isn't suiting them, they say, we don't want to belong with you anymore. We want nothing to do with you. I'm not playing with you anymore. So there, then they're classified as a rogue state. Yeah. Yeah. No, I see. Because, I mean, North Korea really, um, I'm surprised they're bothered because, I mean, is that not the sort of model that they want? Us all to be living by, really, at some point. It's a mixture of North Korea and China. China is the model state for the world, and uh, their top economist just came out and said that that they, they can't stand the rest of Europe and so on. That the welfare states, the bums, you know, that's what the guy says. They're bums. They're lazy. Uh, in other words, if they got in charge of us all, or when it's time for them to be in charge of us all, they'll they'll scrap the welfare system and, and have us all working like they do in China. Yeah. Well, um, no, I see. And, and Iran, you think Iran also is a genuine um, thorn in their side, and that's why they... Um, cause I mean, I've seen any country that's going to have a Muslim, any Muslim country is going to get smashed. Uh, really, that's what I think. That's, that's part of the agenda. Uh, they don't mind having Muslim countries that are constantly fighting amongst themselves, so there's no real, con- there's no, no, no real power in charge of the country, no central authority. Uh, they don't mind that. Kissinger wanted that, in fact. From every country they've gone into, they've made sure that there's so many factions fighting each other. Now they're disabled, basically. They're no threat to anybody. Uh, and um, and the only country that's been allowed to, to survive there from the beginning, of course, is Israel. And uh, that's their best ally, because they've all signed agreements with Israel, and they've said so they're their best ally. No one else will be allowed to have any kind of power in that whole region. And that's the simple agenda, simple as that. Uh, the, the, the UN, through NATO, its military wing, uh, attacks um, um, Iran, uh, uh, Libya, sorry, and uh, Gaddafi gave a speech about them breaking their own charter. They're not allowed to do that to members who followed all the rules. But they can do whatever they want, can they? They can do whatever they want. Uh, sorry for the rest. It was Lee from New York, John from Miami, and Mark from Texas. Maybe phone in tomorrow. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you. And remember, help donate and so on, and maybe I'll keep on going for a little while yet. <laughs>